This is the fifth and final week of our current message series. Today also closes out the regular season of message series for, for, the, for the year. One reminder that we launch our first of two summer series next weekend. Take a look. Which way do you, Lord, which way do you? Which way do you, Lord, which way do you? Which way do you, Lord, which way do you? Okay, slightly creepy, but Definitely interesting. Our summer series are presented in what we call summer format. That means the message comes after Mass. Taking it out of the liturgy means I can invite others to speak. This gives me a break from preaching, you a break from me, while affording some of our other staff the opportunity to speak here in big church. Summer format will continue through Labor Day weekend. The current series has been considering celebration. And as we've already seen, it's a fairly wide-ranging concept for sure, if you think about it. At the holidays, we celebrate Christmas. At a funeral, we celebrate a life. At the Eucharist, we celebrate the Mass. All celebrations for sure, and yet all very different kinds of celebrations that would not seem to have anything in common beyond that word, celebrate. When we celebrate, we might be doing so many different kinds of things, <coughs> from the sacred to the profane, from solemn ceremonies to festive parties and parades, and as we've noted in kicking off this series, besides the holiday season itself, this time of year, late spring time, is the number one time for celebrations for many of us. Celebrations, celebrations are important. They distinguish seasons and mark milestones. They're heart healthy as they're focused on the positive. They unify us. They create community as they bring us together. There's many different kinds of celebrations and ways of celebrating there are. They all have one thing in common. It's true. They all have one thing in common. Celebrations tell stories. They're exercises in storytelling. And ultimately, whatever story they're telling, our celebrations are telling our stories. Whenever we celebrate, we're telling our story, and telling our story helps us organize our story and come to better understand it. In fact, the health of our soul so greatly depends upon celebrations that God actually commanded it. In the Bible, we read, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, the following are the festivals of the Lord. These are my festivals. Among the very first and principal laws given by God was the requirement to celebrate. 
And in Leviticus, we can go on to read the descriptions of the specific feasts and festivals that the Lord names. Feasts celebrating Israel's story. Well, in the same way, the church celebrates four feasts, also called solemnities or solemn feasts, every year at this time of year. They remind us of four key truths of our faith and what's most important. So in this series, we've been taking a closer look at these feasts and why they matter. We kicked it all off with the Feast of the Ascension, celebrating the truth that Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father and has authority over all things on heaven and earth. The ascension also helps us understand that we can have hope for heaven. Two weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday, remembering the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And then last week, we looked at the chief mystery of our faith, the mystery of the Trinity, that God is one and God is three. Today we're celebrating Corpus Christi. We celebrate our Catholic faith that as at Mass, the bread and wine really become the body and blood of Christ. They're not a symbol of Jesus' body and blood. They are his body and blood transformed through the consecration. The church word for it, the theological term, is transubstantiation, transubstantiation. The substance is transformed. Therefore, when we consume the Eucharist, we're truly receiving Jesus Christ, body and bolt, body and blood, soul and divinity. Just for clarification, by the way, because people do ask, at communion here at Nativity, we only distribute the host and not the cup. That's our choice, our decision, and it's a decision made simply for health reasons. But our faith teaches us that Jesus is fully present, body and blood, in both. Anyway, transubstantiation is a difficult word to say. It's a difficult truth to hold. It was immediately rejected by many people when Jesus him, himself first revealed it. And it's been a source of conflict and contention among Christians ever since. It remains, sadly, the chief source of division between Catholics and Protestants since the time of the Reformation. So we're going to briefly take a closer look at it today. To help us appreciate this truth and really celebrate it, we're going to look at today's second reading from 1 Corinthians, as well as a corresponding passage from the book of Exodus. In the reading from 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about the institution of the Eucharist, the establishment of the Eucharist as it was revealed to him by Christ. I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was handed over took bread and after he had given thanks broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the night Jesus was betrayed and handed over, the Jewish people were celebrating the feast of Passover, as they had each year, every year, for about 1,500 years at that point. Jews from all over the world would flood into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate. 
Passover celebrates God freeing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Briefly, here's the backstory. To relieve their suffering under Pharaoh, God sent Moses to demand their release. When Pharaoh repeatedly refused, God sent nine plagues to convince the Pharaoh to change his mind. Each of those plagues, by the way, corresponded to each of the Egyptian gods to prove the futility of those gods and of that false religion. Despite the pain, the Pharaoh remained stubborn and would not relent. God gave Pharaoh every chance to let the Hebrews go, and Pharaoh said no. So then God declared a tenth terrible and final plague, the death of the firstborn of every family. But even here, he held out mercy. To escape death, he gave a detailed instruction that included five steps. Stick with me here because this is actually eventually interesting. <laughs> First, each household was to choose an unblemished male lamb for sacrifice. In other words, a costly sacrifice. Second step, they had to sacrifice the lamb without breaking any of its bones. Also, as they sacrificed the lamb, they had to catch the blood of the lamb in a basin. This led to the third step. They had to spread the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of the house. The doorpost of the house was the only part of the house constructed in wood. If the doorpost was covered in blood, the angel of death passed over the household. That's the Passover of the Lord. The blood of the lamb saved them. Fourth step, after roasting the lamb whole, they had to eat it. The Passover sacrifice was not complete by the death of the lamb, but by receiving it and consuming it. Then there was a fifth step that God gave to Moses. In other words, repeat. This is a day of remembrance for future generations, a day that is to be celebrated forever. Compare that with the passage from Corinthians where Paul is quoting Jesus. This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Notice that both passages emphasize that word, remembrance. According to Jewish tradition, the remembrance of Passover did not just mean remembering as a symbol or a symbolic exercise. In Jewish thinking, in Jewish thought, celebrants didn't just remember the Exodus, they actively participated in it. They relived it. Their reliving of it was a recreation of it. And it was to be forever, for all generations. From their perspective, no matter how much time it passed since the days of Moses, the salvation won in the Exodus wasn't just for history, it wasn't just for the ancestors, it's for us. Well, at the Last Supper, Jesus brings the 12 apostles together to introduce the new Passover. While the original Passover was for the Jewish people, the new Passover is for all people. While the first Passover saved the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt, the new Passover saves people from sin and death. Instead of a lamb being sacrificed, 
Jesus, the Lamb of God, is sacrificed. Like the lambs of Passover, he is without blemish, totally sinless, a perfect sacrifice. Like the lambs of Passover, as the gospel tells us, no bone of his body was broken in the crucifixion. Just as the blood of the lamb covered the doorpost of the house, households, Jesus' blood covered the wood of the cross. And just as the Jews had to eat the lamb to complete the sacrifice, we receive Holy Communion here at Mass. So, what are we supposed to do with all that? Well, let me offer two suggestions this morning. We're all sorting out what online versus in-person attendance means in our post-COVID world. Nobody knows the right answer. As a parish, we know we don't know the right answers. We do know that right now, we have more people attending online than we do in person. Many, many, many more. And we do know we love our online church family. We value their, their participation with us here. Can the online experience allow our music and message to impact and inspire people we would never, ever otherwise reach? Obviously. Can online attendance, when we're traveling or just can't make it to church on Sunday, keep us connected to our church family? Yes, absolutely. Can worship online be authentic worship in spirit and truth that is God-honoring? Yes, definitely, positively. Can church online nourish our faith and awaken our hunger for the Eucharist, leading us back to in-person attendance at Nativity? We are committed to the belief it can. Is online church a permanent part of who we are as a church and one we will continue to invest in without question? But think about this. There's a parallel between the Jewish community's celebration of Passover and our online worship. When Jewish people celebrate the Passover in Baltimore, New York, San Francisco, or wherever in the world they are, they view their celebrations as perfectly valid celebrations of the feast, just as if they were celebrating in Jerusalem. However, they end the Passover celebration with this phrase, next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. Meaning, their celebrations are good and God-honoring, but they themselves acknowledge that they would be more complete in person in Jerusalem. As a sacramental church, we need to gather together in church and receive Jesus in the various ways that he comes to us at Mass, but most especially in Holy Communion. So if you haven't come back, Think about making plans to do so. Make plans to come here in person this summer so that you can receive the Eucharist as well as enjoy the fellowship of your church family. For those of you who join us at, at, at a distance and that's simply not possible, we're thrilled that you're joining us online. But why not take some extra time this summer to visit 
your local parish for Mass and Communion. Some people attend Saturday or early Sunday Mass at, at their home parish and then join us here later online. And of course, if your travels bring you to the Mid-Atlantic region, definitely join us here on Ridgely Road. We have visitors every week from every part of the country, and we love to meet our visitors. Going back to that reading from Corinthians, Paul continues and concludes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. As often, every time, every time we come to Mass and receive communion, we experience communion with Christ. But then there's one other application I'd briefly like to make. This weekend, we're celebrating our music leader, Al Walsh's retirement. He's been leading us in song here at Mass for over two decades, week after week, season after season. Definitely stay with us following communion for a brief but heartfelt tribute. And if you're with us here on Ridgely Road this morning, Join us on this amazing morning out on the plaza after Mass to greet out in person and enjoy fellowship and refreshments. But here's my point. Did you know that after the Passover, when the Israelites had finally been delivered from slavery in their first flush of freedom, do you know what they did? They sang. They sang to the Lord. And at the Last Supper, Jesus and the apostles, do you know what they did? They sang. The, the Last Supper was the very first Mass ever, and the first Mass was not a quiet Mass. They sang. I like to say that coming to Mass and not singing <laughs> is like going to the gym and not working out. And singing is something that you can do whether you're here in person or you're at home. You can sing at home. In fact, you should. Every culture throughout history and around the world celebrates through song. Celebrations require singing. And here's the thing. Mass, mass is definitely, absolutely supposed to be a celebration. 